0: using founder and editor-in-chief, ComicBookHerald.com. Today, we're going to be talking about Ultimate Invasion, number one. Maybe some new X-Men comics that came out. Listen, here's the thing. We're starting a few minutes late today, just had a diaper explosion in the minivan. I won't say whose. <laughs> you can guess. Diaper explosion! Okay. Settling in. Settling in. Getting the mind right. Getting the mind right. Speaking of diaper explosions, let's talk about the fall of X. No, no, no. Stop it. Stop it. Okay, I'm going to be crabby. I'm going to be crabby. I'm going to be crabby. I'm going to be cynical, but we are going to talk about an all-new Jonathan Hickman-written Marvel comic today. We are going to talk about uh, what's good in the world of X-Men. I have not seen a second of Secret Invasion, but for the revelation that apparently the opening is done by A.I., (laughs) Super lame. It looks really, really awful. And uh boy, what a what a cheap decision by Disney, but no real shock there. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I will, I suppose. I'm like tentatively mildly intrigued by Secret Invasion. Uh it's definitely I'm definitely like I haven't seen The Flash. Still haven't seen Black Adam. <laughs> I probably won't see Blue Beetle for a super long time. Um Definitely in a phase where it's just like, is this thing good? Is this thing justified? Right? Is, th- is there some sort of individual solid reason this thing exists specifically aside from the momentum that the MCU created in superheroes? It's not good enough to just be a superhero thing. That's n- It never was, but everyone knows it now. Everyone knows it now. Post-Endgame, post-pandemic, you can't just be like, oh, here's a Craven movie. This will do well, right? No, it won't. <laughs> you can't just roll it out there. And, I mean, listen, you can. You can, right? But, like, quality-wise, like, I have, I, I'm just, I don't want to waste time like that. Good golly. I do not want to waste my time like that. It applies to comics. It applies to TV. It applies to movies. Definitely X-Men comics as well. Right? Like, I am definitely very comfortably, very happy this summer, settling into a phase of I'm going to read X-Men Red. It's going to be great. I'm going to read Immortal X-Men. Everything else is on a maybe a quick scan need-to-know basis. Right? Prove that you are worth the time. Prove that you are doing something interesting. I don't just need to have Everything anymore. I didn't used to read every X Men comic. Then it got super interesting with House and Powers. And guess what? Now it's kind of back where it was. Not bad. Not like pre-Hawks, Pox, the Lost Years. But like, it's not that discernibly different than post-Second Coming, Messiah Complex. You know? Like people are people are so easily X Men fans, especially. But in general, right? They're so easily offended by this notion. That the post hoxpox era would have, like, settled back down to the mean. <laughs> it's like, we've been there for a while. Stop pretending. I'm going to stop pretending. Okay? Things are fine. Some stuff is good. Some stuff is really good. That's what we're going to celebrate, and that's what we're going to focus on. Okay? Um, Xavier says, that's more a statement about your time than about comics, isn't it? No. It's not actually because the time that I'm using will still be read to read comics. Just ones that are good or have the potential to be great and really captivate me. I'm not less interested in comic books. That's not the problem. <laughs> I like I'm exceedingly obsessed. Can't shake it. Won't shake that. I just the reason we had an ultimate diaper invasion as uh, as somebody very well J.D. puts here in the comments, is because I had to go to the library to pick up, straight up, the full bibliography of Daniel Klaus. <laughs> like, ten graphic novels. The, the, the time to read comics and how I want to spend my time, that is not the issue. The issue is, in increasing malaise, in increasing laziness, in increasing lack of innovation amongst superhero comics and marvel and listen this this is a healthy place for everyone to get to okay and part of this is definitely just my own history with the medium and coming to comics right i came into getting super obsessed with superhero comics circa the 2010s spent a ton of time with it but the real and i've listen i have other interests. I i read other things but like the reality is if you fill yourself up with so much of that you either are just going to be in an endless loop of nostalgia, and we'll talk about Ultimate Invasion and how it relates to that, um, or you're going to find new things, right? And I, I am just, as I get older, it's just like, why would I not be seeking new experiences, new things, um, attempts to push this medium that I love so much in increasingly entertaining directions instead of just like the same cycles that I've seen for decades now in this comic's history. Like, listen, it's a blessing and a curse to, to more fully comprehend the history of Marvel Comics because you see the same things repeat, you know? It's more exciting your first go-through. And honestly, that there's definitely a part of me that that is what I'm thinking about Ultimate Invasion. I had a fine time. Okay, I had a fine time with Ultimate Invasion. I was very excited to read it. I was not excited to pay nine bucks for whatever, 40-some pages of comic and some sketches in the back. Can I get the version that doesn't have the sketches and save like two bucks? Do not care about Brian Hitch sketches. Um, Enjoyable read. I'm intrigued by where things are going. Heavy nostalgia factor. It's a weird thing for me I suppose, because I came to Marvel Comics later to feel a book so, such weaponized nostalgia targeted specifically at my tastes, right? So much of what we see in in comics nostalgia is often, you know, the 60s stuff, right? Stanley the Manly, Jack Kirby, and of course, Steve Ditko, and John Romita, R.I.P., Um, but also the 80s stuff, right? Like, you're going to see a lot of Frank Miller nostalgia, you're going to see a lot of Alan Moore nostalgia, all that stuff. Uh, It is, it's a weird sort of cycle of nostalgia now to be like ultimate universe nostalgia. Jonathan Hickman's own self-referential nostalgia, you know, and all these things that I've loved and championed for years now being a bit regurgitated, you know, and I, I can't quite tell how much of that is the fact that it's Brian Hitch on this book. I feel like that, listen, There's shade to be—like, I won't say no shade, because there is shade to be had (laughs) when it comes to Brian Hitch, but this feels like a bad fit, which is ironic because it is an intentionally self-referential fit to the flippin' visionary who made The Ultimates a spectacle, okay? Credit where it's due, The Ultimates were a comic book spectacle. The Authority was a revolution in superhero comics— in large part because of what Brian Hitch did circa the turn of the millennium but going back to that well in 2023 as we're trying to seemingly turn a new leaf and create a new ultimate universe it it just feels regressive it feels like the opposite right it just feels like oh so are we are we just trying to recapture what we had i also feel like hitch is a bad fit for this book frankly and what's happening here, there are books in recent years that Hitch has drawn that I have greatly enjoyed. I think he's an okay fit on Venom. I really like the Hawkman work he did with Robert Vendetti over on the DC side, okay? Um, that I think Hitch can, if Hitch can get out of the comfort zone of, of what was big 23 years ago, uh, I think he can be a really interesting creator. So it's like, listen, I, I don't think this is like a talentless individual. Incredibly influential, important comics artist in the history of comics, Marvel Comics specifically. Uh, but, I mean, not a good fit on this book. It's not a book I enjoy artistically, and I think that is probably the, the easiest... I don't know if it'll be a comment or if it's just me thing, but, like, it'll be... It, like, with House of X and Powers of Ten. there's a few reasons they were more interesting. But artistically, with Pepe LaRosa and Arbi Silva and Mardi Gracia syncing everything together, there was also, like a real, oh, superhero comics are changing visually moment as well. And with Ultimate Invasion, it is the literal opposite of that. Nothing is changing. Everything is regressing back to where they were. I like the idea of utilizing Hitch if you were trying to reference like a one-off, you know? Like if in the Avengers run where Hickman, you know, has the Ultimate Universe sudden thing before Secret Wars, if that's a Hitch-drawn comic, that's cool. That's a good reference point. Um, I don't think it worked here. And for three more issues of this to all be Hitch. I don't think it's fit. Uh, I just don't. As far as the actual content here, um, (sighs) Hickman writes the best maker. There's a plus. There's a big plus. Reading this again, I I did definitely have the thought of, oh, I would just read a four-issue Hickman maker limited series. Right. And I think in a lot of ways, that is what this book feels like and what it is going to be. And like, that's a win in and of itself. I'm here for that. I'm interested. That's great. I think, again, there's those undercurrents of weaponized nostalgia where it is just like, okay, we're hitting the Illuminati well again. We're hitting Hickman's Maker again. We're doing the read versus the read thing. Like, there's a lot of referential, sort of, oh, you loved that before? Like, here it is again. And like most Hickman projects, that's probably not going to be a problem by the end of things. That's probably not the focus. An assumption. But I, I think one based in a lot of, a lot of comics. Um, it's probably going to net out fine. I'm intrigued by what the maker's plans are. I like watching him run circles around the Illuminati. I like that the Illuminati in this book... Oh, spoilers. <laughs> We dove right in. Okay, we dove right in. Uh, spoilers will follow for all the comics books that we discuss. If you have not read Ultimate Invasion today, uh, listen. I don't. I don't know that I would recommend you go and pay nine bucks for this comic. Like, listen. I like supporting your LCS, but why is this comic nine bucks? Most are four. Most are five. Did this feel like a nine-dollar comic to most of you? Genuinely curious on that one I don't think it did comics price points are a hard thing to to fully understand I don't necessarily mind them shooting that shot uh but it's just like for nine bucks I mean you're saying this is two times the worth of the average comic and I would not put it in that category okay I just wouldn't um I think like a lot of Hickman projects too you know, it starts with a very confident, very casual build-up. It does not answer any questions, really. You know, it's all kind of set up and build. We know there's only four issues. It's going to be oversized, so really it's, you know, kind of like eight. Um, so I expect those answers will come, but, like, if you're telling me – if you're asking, should I pay the 9 bucks now or should I wait until it's on Marvel limited away wait for the trade? I mean, I would wait. I really would. Uh but the advantage, of course, of getting it the day of is you can go on a YouTube stream and talk about it. So if that's what you're looking to do, pay the $9. <laughs> pay the $9. Um, <clears throat> so it's expensive comic book. That's fine. Spoilers are going to follow. I'm intrigued by things happening with the maker. I like that Hickman is focusing in on this character. I think that's going to be good. There are a lot of still, I think, unanswered questions about how we got from, like, points A to B to C as far as other creators that have used the Maker. You know, I talk about in the Road to Ultimate Invasion um, video that I put out way back that, you know, Al Ewing played with the Maker and had him doing some interesting things at the end of Ultimates 2. Donna Cates most recently had the Maker, I believe, like, seemingly sitting among the ashes of Earth 1610. And we got to be careful now with these Earth numbers because they're getting real muddled. But uh, in the Ultimate Universe, and like... But when we start this book, the maker's in a prison on seemingly Earth-616. So I think there's some... Unless I missed a connecting dot, which is very possible, I feel like we don't know how we got from that point to this point. That feels like it has to be mentioned. Uh, on the credits page, there's a special thanks to Donnie Cates. So I don't think it's uh, it's an oversight or like a total accident or anything either. You know, I, I do kind of expect that's going to come up. And I'm curious to see what the answer is going to be there. I'm definitely curious to see what the answer is going to be. Let's see. Nobody nobody feels like $9 was a fair price point for this book. JJ says this was a 3.99 book at best. <laughs> that's I mean, that's harsh. Like if you listen, if you're going to produce more pages, like yes, I I understand charging more for it. Um 5 or 6.99 seems like, probably the reasonable the reasonable price point for this. Um, but yeah. Like, what? How did the maker get here? I don't know. Nobody knows yet. Okay. Um, let's see. Xavier says, I'd also really like to ask Hickman what the relative age of the maker is now. The man has had so many years out of accelerated time. Yeah, sure. Some questions. Some maker questions. But I like that the focus is there. I'm very intrigued by the ending of this. Um, so the ending of this book is you know, is really the one thing we have to, to focus on and kind of theorize and talk about, which is what is the maker's plan? The maker's making something. The Illuminati's trying to stop him. They are very ineffective, <laughs> very ineffectual at trying to do that. This is not seemingly going to really be an Illuminati book. You know, that's kind of just like almost like Easter-riggy stuff. Um, the maker's plan here is to create his own world, which is what he's always wanted to do, uh, create a world that he's in control of, and, and that he can fully, you know, basically build, and he's in Earth, what do they call it, 6160 now. So it's a combo of 616 and 1610, which are 616 is the primary Marvel Earth. 1610 was the Earth number designated to the Ultimate Universe. We now have a merger of those in 6160, and that is this new Maker Earth, or taken over Maker Earth, I'm not. or merged, I'm not sure which, where he has, seeming, he has not only taken himself there, but he has also gone back in time to the point that he is the same age, or whatever age he is, same look, and he is working in a lab where the spider's about to bite Peter Parker, and instead of biting him, the Maker swats it off at him, takes the spider, and says, you were about to get a spider bite, let me take care of that for you. Right? So he stops the genesis of Spider-Man, I think you could read that as the maker attempting to stop the genesis, stop the actual basically 60s creation of Marvel comic book heroes and and kind of the age of heroes and villains. Um, But I suspect there's quite a bit more to it than that. You know, um, I I think a version of Marvel Comics where everyone is depowered Except the maker is very boring. <laughs> it has been done in various incarnations. There was even a miniseries called Powerless. Um, don't look it up. You don't need to. But uh, so I doubt it's that. But I'm I'm definitely intrigued by what that could mean. I'm intrigued by what that could mean and what he's trying to do. I mean, one of the first thoughts I had was the maker does have a conversation with Miles Morales in this book, and he says, "Hey, we're alike." You know, we're the two beings that after Secret Wars were sent from the ultimate universe to Earth 616. Of course, seemingly no one remembering that Jimmy Hudson also made it through. <laughs> that just never comes up anymore. Um, and he basically he's like, I respect you because of that. You're you know, you're one of my people. Um, would you like to come to back to our universe with me? And Miles says, No, thank you. I'm good. Possible that he's stopping that spider-man story so there can be a miles story maybe feels like that's got some potential maybe that's just the spider-verse talking um there's got to be more miles in this he was heavily involved in the setup he's on the covers it'd be very i mean it'd be funny but it'd be very misleading if the extent of miles role in this was to wake up shocked that the maker was in his bedroom and tell him no thank you i don't want to play (laughs) <laughs> I, I have to think there's maybe a little more to it than that. Uh, Tevi here is asking, what does this mean for Jimmy Hudson Wolverine? Nothing. <laughs> I promise you, Jimmy Hudson's not going to come up. It's not going to happen. It means nothing for him. Um, okay, so I want to hear people's thoughts. Like, what, what is the Maker doing? What do we think? What is the ultimate plan? I mean, my read on the Maker is... You know, this quest for... He's a bit like the high evolutionary, you know, in some regards. Like, this quest for sort of self-prescribed godhood and, and like, evolution to its ultimate peak, creating sort of the perfect society and the perfect people and being at the head of all that. Um, Al Ewing took that even farther, where it was like perfect universes, you know, and that sort of thing. But given that they've pushed it that far, what is he doing? Stopping a Spider-Man spider bite, right? Like, like, what is the like? Because that's a very small stakes goal, especially to be doing himself, taking a hand in that role, very literally. Um, is he literally just going to be stopping superhero origin stories? Like that doesn't feel right. You know, and then I think the piece of this that I'm definitely most interested in is where does this build that creates something new? Because there's a lot of talk of, okay, the, an ultimate universe will be restored at the end of this. We know it's going to be ultimate invasion and it's then going to lead into ultimate universe number one, which is um, going to be the kickoff for a new ultimate universe. And um, like it... It can't just be a nostalgic, I mean, it could be, but I, I would be very disappointed by this, a nostalgic sort of like recreation of a thing that we liked, right? Like this is a genuine opportunity to be reimagining how Marvel, a new Marvel universe could work and could look. And I think that's something that Hickman as a creator is especially interested in right now, right? If you follow the Three Moons, Three world stuff, It's all talking about world building all the time, right? Creating new things from the ground up. This does not seem like an individual who would be especially interested in, like, how do we bring back, you know, uh, uh, Spider-Woman from the Ultimate Universe? Like, like you can have that character play around or whatever, but, like, this is an opportunity to say it has been 23 years since the Ultimate Universe debuted. If we're going to do it again now, what does it look like? Not... How do we create a roadmap to just recreate the same ultimate universe? Like, that's the most boring answer, I think. Um, so I'm curious. I'm definitely curious to see how this is going to end. Uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely kind of... I should have had, you know, tempered expectations, I think, from this first issue. Um, hopefully the second, you know, it's it's going to answer more questions. It's going to tell us a little bit more about the direction. But I mean if your if your comparison points are the excessive highs of House of X powers of ten, I mean obviously this doesn't get there. Right? I mean no question about it. Like this feels it feels like a throwback and not in like the best way. You know? I mean it doesn't feel that different. Than like when Jim Starlin comes in or came in to do like graphic novels, like Thanos graphic novels in the 2010s, where it was like, I love this creator, they own this character, nobody does it better. But this is very much them speaking to a Marvel Universe that existed when they were in their prime, coming up telling their best stories. And that's a bit of what I feel here with Hickman. And, and the Illuminati and the Maker. Like, this this is a Greatest Hits project, right? So, it, whereas Gods, this thing that's coming later, that feels like genuine creation. That feels like actual new injection of energy in life, right? This feels like Hickman and Hitch on The Greatest Hits Circus. At this point, it's the first issue of four oversized issues. Okay. All right. Let me know what y'all thought here in the comments. Let's see. What do we got here? Okay. I did not grab any of my um, notes because of the diaper explosion. (laughs) So I did not remember what, if anything, I was going to say about Uh, The X-Men comics, we will talk about them. Let's see, J.J. suggests here, is this a prequel to gods? Is Ultimate Invasion a prequel to gods? Gods are mad at everyone playing god. I would enjoy some connective tissue there. I don't anticipate it will play too much like a prequel. Um, I'd be a little surprised by that, but I I can see what you're saying, right? You've had a Reed Richards and his family playing god post-Secret Wars. Now you've got the Maker doing it again. Um, could the Cosmic Pantheon be looking to step up and say, this is ridiculous. How are all of these little forces setting the stage for things and that kind kind of being a driving factor in the reestablishment of the Cosmic Pantheon? Uh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Um, yeah, I mean, Banksy points out, does it feel right to even have the Illuminati together at this point? I mean, that's the other thing, too, is, like, the Marvel Universe is in a pretty different place. Than it would like than it was when Hickman left you know and that's where it's like this feels like you writing your own version of the Marvel Universe as if nothing happened over the past eight years um and it just feels out of time right it feels disconnected from the reality of kind of where things are you know like like is this book happening in 2023 or is it happening in 2016. There's definitely some flavor of that. Yes, I did feel that. Um, let's see. Somebody else asking, you know, was it worth it? I kind of already answered that, but I mean, no, not at that price point. You know what's worth it at that price point of, like, books I would pay eight ninety nine for to have in physical form. Any issue of the Black Monday murders, which varied by size and price, but those were rich, dense texts. I was happy to support Jonathan Hickman and uh, and Tom Coker on that book. Would have paid that much. You know, for for big issues, lots happening. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Um, other books. I mean, the problem with an $8.99 price point is like you can get a lot of good trades or manga for $9.99. You know, if I go to my comic shop, if I go to my LCS all the best sellers, something is killing the children atop the top row. You got Chainsaw Man up there. You got Junji Ito stuff, right? You can get a lot of that stuff for coast 9 dollars You tell me I get a whole book? A whole good book? Or this one issue? You know, so it's like, I kind of understand comics publishers wanting to price single issues basically just for the collector market. Like, I actually kind of think that makes sense. Because they don't make sense to buy and read. <laughs> but for people who just want to buy and read, that's a that's a difficult price point. Listen, if I could get a whole Chipotle burrito or a comic book, it's offensive to the talented artists that put their heart and souls into these books. But I think I'd rather have the burrito. <laughs> you know? Um, anyway. I mean, you know, if you can wait, I'd say wait. It'll read better together anyway, is the other thing. Most things do. Uh, Chianti and Fava Beans asks, if Hickman announced an Alpha Flight series, would Dave be interested? No, absolutely not. I would not read it. I would call my LCS and say, do not put that on my standing, uh, pull anything written by Hickman list. You can take that one off. Do, do, do. Let's see. I'm just looking, like, what y'all are saying and seeing if there's any good theories in here um chris Cuevas has the theory the maker stole the spider so he can create his own spider-man he wants to create the ultimates and have significant influence and control over the superhumans so he can create his perfect world uh i like that better than him stomping the creation of the ultimates and ultimate superheroes that instead he's like actually i just want them to be under my watch and things that i create that's a cooler idea That's interesting, right? So you have an Ultimate Universe attempt where everything is maker-owned. They should get this comic sponsored by Maker's Mark. Or I should, at least I should get my coverage of Ultimate Invasion. Talking Maker by Maker's Mark. No. Um, Ooh, what should we call it? Making Little Makers with Maker's Mark? That's what I did. Three times. That's why we had a diaper explosion in the van. <laughs> um, really, I just want some Maker's Mark for free out of this. If anybody can make that happen, that'd be fantastic. Let's see. DJ Rally points out, think about the talented artists that put their heart and soul into the burrito. That's a fair point. Underrating sandwich artists in this conversation. Uh, Randall asked, did you read Venom? It rips this week. Okay, I'll check it out. Braden says, how about Jed's Avengers? Yeah, I mean... Let's give it, a, give it a six issues, and I'll, I'll catch up on Marvel Unlimited kind of thing. Definitely, I, ho- I hope he can pull it off. Ooh, seeing a few, issue 21 of Venom was great. Okay. I mean, now that it seems to be, like, purely an Al Ewing cosmic insanity thing, I should probably just be reading every issue of Venom. I think it seems to be finding a, a rhythm, even though it took... You know, but that's the thing. Like, that's the nice thing about Venom, is, like, because it was Rom V and Al Ewing, it's had space to find a groove and it's finding its groove at like, you know, the 20 issue mark, you know, whereas all these books that get five issues and they're out, like sometimes it takes time to find a groove. Not every not everything is launching here is this perfect limited series. Um, yeah, no, I need, I need to read some more Venom. I'll catch up there. Let's see. Uh, somebody points out, everybody sounds like they're talking, you know, in big philosophical thoughts. <laughs> yeah, that's, you should read some Hickman comics sometime. <laughs> That's how. Every, that's how every one of his characters talks, all the time. That has not changed. That will never change. Okay. Somebody says, "Let's talk X Men Red." We can do that. Randall says, "To be honest, I'm tired of Maker. I don't think you're gonna like this book if you're tired of Maker." I, I'd be surprised by somebody who's like, "Well, I didn't enjoy the Maker bits, but I liked Ultimate Invasion." I don't think that's gonna be a take. Let's see. Um, Jj asks, "How was the time away minus exploding poo?" I, I what did I? I mean, I only missed like one week. <laughs> oh, honestly, it wouldn't have been much to talk about it anyway. Uh, it was great, frankly. It was awesome. Did lots of things, lots of fun things. Got to see a lot of new places. Uh, read a ton of comics. Of course I did. Of course I did. Let's see what's been good lately. I read uh, the Neil Gaiman libra- uh, libraries from Dark Horse Comics. They have, like, three volumes of, like, Neil Gaiman short stories. Some really cool stuff in there. Had a good time with that. I started, uh, just recently, Grant Morrison's book, Luda. I'm only, like, 15% through on audiobook, but having a great time with that one out on the bike rides. Uh, like I mentioned, I got every Daniel Klaus book in history (laughs) in my room right now. read Ghost World for the first time. Um, not an all-time fave, but good good work, obviously. Uh, what else? What else? Anything surprising that I really enjoyed? Oh, there was one thing. I, it'll be updated on the best comics of all time list, I'm sure. Um, played a lot of Hollow Knight as well. Got into Hollow Knight for the first time on some long flight rides, and that was awesome. Rode that switch until the battery died, baby. Playing some Hollow Knight. I'm kind of stuck on a boss now, though, which is like my least favorite to be in a game, least favorite place to be in a game, but we'll see. We'll see how things are going. The bowls look like maybe they're actually going to blow it up. Things are good. Things are good here. Uh, all right. What other questions do we got? Dante says So Hickman ignored everything Cates was doing in his Venom run and forgot there are more ultimate characters in the 616 universe. <clears throat> if. It never is explained why the maker's in prison, and and how he got from a burning ultimate universe to six one six. Then that will be a true statement. <laughs> but we have three more issues to go. That could come up. It would be very. It would be actually disappointing if it didn't. Be not not necessarily because I need him to be beholden to specific continuity, but like that is one big thing, big swing that happened at the end of a pretty popular run, right? With Venom. They, again, they have the special thanks to Donnie Cates. It would be strange if that didn't come up again. I would not at this juncture treat that as he's ignoring it. I think it just hasn't been explained yet. Would be my take. Um, the forgetting about ultimate characters, I mean listen, Jimmy Hudson isn't coming to the story. <laughs> I promise. Okay. Do we have anything more to say about ultimate invasion more people popping in and saying why is this book nine dollars yeah i mean it's listen i never want to talk about the price of a comic this much but (laughs) it's obviously too much obviously okay (laughs) banksy points out the special thanks to kate's could be for just letting him scrap his story if Donnie was just like no it's cool don't bother (laughs) And they're like, thank you. Thank you for not making us actually adhere to continuity. Um, Unlikely, but that would actually be pretty funny. Okay. Let's see. All right. Comics. What else came out while I was gone? We talked to Ultimate Invasion. Uh, The best book that I read. So, okay, two books that I read. X-Men Wise, Wolverine 34, and X-Force 41. My only thoughts on these are... Ben Percy's Beast has really become like a must-read villain. Like I'm I'm really excited about this Bond villain era of Beast. Like like now that the the gloves are off and it's not this kind of gray nuance of like a character that we know to be a hero doing bad things and it is instead just a straight-up supervillain. It's really deliciously fun. <laughs> um, again, like that's the only thing I have to say about these books, because they are otherwise spinning their wheels and just kind of doing their thing and having fun with it. But uh, but man, Bondian villain Beast is a really good time. It's a really good time. Like that is appointment reading for me. A lot of these, you know, I'm skimming through the book until it comes to Beast, and then I'm reading everything, flipping, reading everything Beast has to say at this point. So I'm enjoying that, uh, frankly, immensely. I do think, too, like, Bondian villain Beast is for sure going to be part of how mutant kind, you know, recovers from the fall of X, right? Like, he's going to have a plan. They're going to bring him back into the fold. Um, that, that sort of, I don't know if it's going to be um, a recovery for the character, but, like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, let's see, um, and then the other book, like, the one book that is definitely the most worth talking, oh, so, t- Timothy asked a question here, uh, related to Ultimate Invasion, wait, isn't Black Bolt dead? I'm so behind on my Inhumans, uh, so, I guess actually one development here, it, I, the Inhumans, I think as far as we know, have been, like, seemingly kinda dead-ish since the death of the Inhumans, a series that Donnie Cates wrote, and what we find here is Black Bolt is alive and well, of course. And uh, the Inhumans are now in New lawn. So instead of New Atalon, it's the Arcticlon, which I, I am just guessing here is in the Arctic. <laughs> I think this is the first reference to this that we have seen. Uh, it, it continues the trend of the Inhumans hiding out in generally uninhabited spaces. Maybe this means Bobby will be hanging with them in the fall of X when he's in Antarctica. Um, one of the, the, the Arctic has, one of them has penguins and one of them has polar bears. So uh, if Bobby is in the region where the Inhumans aren't, that means one of them is going to have access to penguins and one of them is going to have access to polar bears. I just can't remember which, but they'll have to trade photos since they won't be able to see the other. Look forward to that comic <laughs> but yeah black belt's fine Inhumans humans uh doing their thing in the chilly regions of the arctic listen as puns go new arctic is a massive stretch <laughs> like <laughs> barely works um regionally it's fine but uh weird swing weird swing that, that feels like hickman just having a laugh having a laugh Maybe it's a Super scroll again, JJ asks. It is Secret Invasion season. I would not be surprised at all if Marvel rolled out a Secret Invasion 2 announcement in the next, like, three to five weeks. The main reason I think that is... So, I think there's a little bit of a... There's definitely a malaise at Marvel right now. Um, I think we're seeing some pretty clear indicators of... Kind of a dearth of ideas. Definitely a dearth of freshness. Very ironic for the Fresh Start era. But like, you know, one like one of the go-to hey, we're kind of out of idea moves is like, okay, let's kill off a character. Um, so we had that with Kamala Khan. And then I would argue another go-to is let's have a wedding. <laughs> and we've apparently got that coming up with Tony Stark and Emma Frost for however long it lasts or doesn't last and whatever the sort of cynical undercurrent of it is going to be um, we could talk about that in more detail I guess but then I feel like you know the next thing on the list of what do we do when we're out of ideas is um, a nostalgia event right is going to be a legacy event so I think we're going to see Secret Invasion 2 as an event um, in conjunction with the miniseries I would not in any way be surprised by that the legacy events tend to be a very bad idea civil war II is awful um but secret wars 2015 is of course an exception so who knows who knows if you have enough sort of reason for it happening at the center of your universe it can work maybe you don't do it with the scrolls is the other thing right do a kangy thing with Avengers. jed mckay that could be cool a uh, few people point out here, Ryan North did write a Secret Invasion mini. Yes, that that is a nice little mini-series. miniseries, um, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm talking full-on crossover and event. Uh, James does ask, how about the horrible announcement of wedding bells between Tony and Emma? Uh, yeah, it's called Jumping the Stark. They have jumped the Stark on this one. I mean, listen, I'm not pro this marriage or anything, but I'm also cynical enough to know that like this is not a serious thing <laughs> that anyone is committed to uh, propagating or, or actually servicing. The only thing I like to say about this is, so a lot of folks like to point out that in the history of the Marvel Universe, uh, the book, the the six issues by Mark Wade and I think Javier Rodriguez, in the history of the Marvel Universe, there's one page where Galactus is foreshadowing a bunch of things that are gonna come in the Marvel Universe and like the King in Black was foreshadowed on there, amongst other things, and it has long been talked about how the wedding of Emma Frost and Tony Stark is referenced on there, and it has become the only one of the teased future things that has not happened. Now, your intrepid journalist here, when interviewing Mark Wade, asked him, uh, "Hey, what's up with the wedding of Emma and Tony?" And uh, Mr. Wade told me in that interview, exclusively to Comic Herald, that of. The future things on that list. The one that he made up was the wedding of Tony Stark and Frost. So that one was not actually based in every Marvel plan. So everyone out there being like, oh, well, they've teased this for years. Yeah, except that one was made up. <laughs> no one was actually planning to do that thing. So it's actually like kind of the, the laziest go-to to make that an actual storyline because it is pulled just from like sort of fandom obsession now about this made-up reference that was never actually planned, okay? So, your intrepid journalist had the scoop on that one. Obviously, need to get some credit as far as those things go. Um, Yeah, I don't—it does kind of make sense in a Fall of X era. Given that Duggan's writing Iron Man, given that he's written a lot of Emma Frost, it is not surprising that he would have these characters connect. And, you know, I mean, the thing about where Iron Man's at right now is, like, his— Business has been taken over by Phelong, this member of Orcus. Um, Grakoa is about to get decimated by Orcus at the Hellfire Gala. And, uh, you know, might it help to have a mutant Iron Man alliance? Like, these books are going to be interconnected. Like, Iron Man is basically a Grakoa book at this point. Anyway, so it the timing of it makes sense. I get it. I get it. It's just, you know, like, listen, these characters aren't going to be married for years. Like, good, you know. Good luck lasting, like, two months, I think, in comics time. I'm seeing a frowny face at Jump the Stark, um, and I just want to say, no, it is you who are wrong, and I will not apologize. Let's see. Really Rick in the super chat, thanks for your donation here, says, admit it, Beast made that lobster look delicious. That was the most... Listen, I can't eat crab or lobster. I don't ever want to eat anything that makes... If it takes me more effort to get to the food than it does to, like, drive to the place, I'm out. So I am out on crab and lobster. But Beast, uh, if I wasn't already, Beast was just revolting. (laughs) (laughs) Eating the lobster. Although that actually kind of feels like the most true-to-life depiction of Beast eating. Just, like, stuff all up in his fur. How would you keep that off? You know? Like, so, but yeah, he was just nasty with that thing. Uh, Let's see. Keontae says, Beast versus Squirrel Girl. Let's go. Uh, I don't know if that's referencing to something specific. If the request is simply to have Squirrel Girl come take Beast down, yeah, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I think that would be awesome. Okay, uh, the one book that I did want to talk about is X-Men Red. Okay. Um, X-Men Red's good. It is I think unquestionably the best X-book at this point. Issue number 12 came out last week, and uh, it's by Yael Wing. Of course, it is setting up the the Genesis War, and the return of Genesis and and Amenth, um, it, it's awesome. This book is so good. It's it's pulling from Ten of Swords. It's pulling from the Legacy of Amenth and Irako, and Okara and all that good stuff. Uh, there's some huge mysteries right now about like Genesis. You know, was freed from the Annihilation Helm, and yet she's still on this path of conquering throughout. Uh, Okara in Amenth. The the regional logistics of this are just a nightmare. Um, but she like she goes and she takes over the White Sword. Uh turns out John Ironfire this character we learned about in Sins of Sinister that he is like the White Sword's like one of his first deputies or generals or whatever he calls them. Um, and he frees John Ironfire from his control and sends him to Araco on Mars to warn the mutants that Genesis is coming. But like this is great. This is this Araco stuff is all new, it's all fresh. It's all very exciting. Um, this book, like Ewing has such a masterful control of these characters and their continuities. Uh, there's a little joke between Sunspot and Nova that made me laugh out loud. Just beautiful little character moments that for fans who know these characters really well, um, are executed so, so smartly. I, so at the end of this book, I thought for sure Genesis was going to come through onto Arako and be talking to her sister or is it sister-in-law? I can't, no sister. Um, Iska the Unbeaten, who we haven't seen for a minute. But it's actually instead a bit of a twist. It's the Kovana leader who is uh, debuted in the pages of Excalibur. Teeny Howard written Dawn of X-Series Excalibur. And, uh, you know, they're, they're the X-Office is doing a nice job. Basically, like, if anyone has been positioned as a villain or as a human against mutants, even if they weren't originally part of Orcus, like, everyone is finding their way into Orcus's sphere. And I do think that makes a lot of sense, you know, especially going into the fall of X. Um, I do think, I do think like fall of X is, like there was another reveal today about this map, about how the mutants are all going to be spread across the globe after the Hellfire Gala. Like, I feel like we know too much, (laughs) you know, Um, I just, I feel like it's all spelled out very clearly kind of where things are going with this, you know, like Orcus is going to disrupt the Hellfar Gala. Um, it, they're going to, you know, create a huge scene. It's going to lead to the fracturing of mutant kind. Uh, I guess the questions that remain would be, well, if Orcus attacks everyone at the Hellfire Gala, how Gala, do, uh, how does that then lead to mutant fracturing as opposed to mutant unification and a world behind the mutants? Right, so in some way they must convince everyone that actually the mutants are the problem. But we've already seen that in the Free Comic Book Day thing, with the sort of um, false flag Captain Krakoa blowing up something in the White House or whatever. So I don't know. It it does like Marvel PR always has this difficult challenge of you know teasing things and making them interesting, but not you know you don't want to give away too much of the story. And I feel like in this case, like I I don't know what we're waiting for anymore. (laughs) <laughs> like, it's kind of, kind of everything is out there except the actual Fall of X comics. I don't know. It feels, feels like too much, but maybe the Hellfire Gal has got some massive twist up its sleeve. Uh, it sounds like from the comments here that, that folks generally agree. Uh, Kante says in the super chat here, Beast makes the squirrel girl eat a squirrel for evils. That's too evil. I'm just going to put that on paper. That is too evil. Uh, I would no longer be enjoying Bondi and Beast. Timothy says, that is worse than the blob eating the wasp. I would agree. I would agree. Okay, getting your final thoughts, getting your final questions. I'm feeling mildly recovered after the ultimate diaper invasion. Not looking forward to heading back to see what that looks like. <laughs> but somebody's got to do it. It's a job for a hero. Final thought. call for questions, thoughts, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely... X-Men Red is still great. It is the X-Men book to be reading. Um, Immortal X-Men I'm still going to be very interested in. Has been great at times. I think Gillen's fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, you know, other than that... Other than that, it's like... I don't know, things are going to get interesting here. Because you're going to have... The, the X-Men Red stuff with Apocalypse and all that is going to be really interesting. The Hellfire Gal is going to happen. And... And and then it's just going to be like, okay, I feel like The Fall of X is a, it's a real make or break. And there have been a lot of moments like this, post-Hickman. But The Fall of X feels like a real make or break, jumping off point. Like, if the Hellfire Gala nails it, and does something unique, and beyond what we're talking about here, you know, maybe The Fall of X books are are worth exploring in more detail. But if it's kind of just what it seems to be, which is, okay, this is the (laughs) denouement where the X-Men are scattered across the globe, and I guess we'll wait for Act 5 for them to come back together. I don't know. It's just like the dream is over. It's not a dream if it's real. And what's real right now is, you know... A malaise. A malaise. Okay, final questions. Banksy asks, where do you think Apocalypse is and what his plans might be? My my main thought here is that I bet Apocalypse is the one controlled by Annihilation, this mystical helm, and that perhaps he's trying to control that burden so that Genesis is not taken over again. And then, beyond that, I don't know. But that's my main guess about why we haven't seen Apocalypse yet. Um, can't say in five of beans. Asked Dave, do you think Fox could lead to X-Men leaving earth and going, Oh, Fox being uh, F O X, fall of X X-Men leaving earth and going all intergalactic superpower. Uh, I mean, that's kind of already happened, you know, in parts, right? That's been a large part of the Ewing sword and X-Men red. Although in the X-Men red era, that's really gotten walked back a lot. Um, that was more of a sword thing. So I, It's kind of hard to see them doing that more extensively, like colonizing Mars and creating Mysterium and creating this cosmic economy was kind of supposed to be that. And then it's just been, you know, Ewing's the only one playing with it. And it's the most interesting thing. So, no, I don't see Fall of X being a mutant intergalactic superpower moment because all of the books, by and large, are about mutants struggling on Earth. Mostly in the Americas. (laughs) They shared the map, and they're like, mutants scattered across the globe, and there's no one in Africa, and there's no one in the Europe, and there's no one in Asia. (laughs) It is a bigger globe than I think they realize. Um, Let's see. What do we got here? (laughs) Thank You Base God asks, why can't Storm and Genesis just be frenzies? Maybe they will. They won't. But it does seem like Storm and Genesis could be really good friends. <laughs> that w- I, I like the idea of them working together. Perhaps more than I like uh, this war that's about to happen. Adrian asks, will the X-Men return to the Outback? Not according to the map that was shared today by Marvel. But honestly, like, why not? <laughs> why not? I'm seeing a few people say the new Hulk run is off to a good start. What is it, One Issue? Out at this point, um, give that a look eventually for sure let's see doo, doo, doo. Uh, somebody asked, have they announced Sabretooth Part 3? no, I don't think so I don't think so Brayden says, there's really not much imagination in the X-line these days compared to the start uh, yeah I. I mean, I think that's there's a lot of limitations now and a lot of those are self-imposed but it does feel like they're a bit they're stuck. And Fall of X is gonna disrupt that a little bit. We'll see to what extent. But they're definitely kind of trapped in in this thing that they've built, which is Krakoa, which was always gonna be a challenge. I mean, year four of a new idea and a new status quo in comics time, there are not a lot of examples of that having tremendous success. You know, um, there are no examples of a whole line of shared universe books having integrated, synchronized, long-term success. I'm saying that without verifying it in any way, <laughs> but I don't think there are, unless you count '80s X-Men, which. I mean, comparatively, is barely a line. It's three books, three, you know, three, four people, essentially, at the head of it. So, like, it is kind of a thing that just... Comics generally don't work this way. Um, You have long, sustained runs. Maybe you have two books intersecting, a la Hickman Avengers and New Avengers. You don't ever have a shared group line... Of 8 to 10 X-Men comics. All firing on all cylinders. 4 years into a status quo change. Right? That doesn't happen. And like there's a reason it feels like it's not happening here. (laughs) Because it never has. And it probably never will. You know? Um, Chris Quava points out. Valiant 2012 to 2018. Valiant did not make it to 2018. Successfully. That's the thing. Started off super hot right? And listen, if you stuck with it, God bless you. (laughs) But but like, that's hard to do. Super hard. They gave it a go. They gave it an absolute go. It's in the conversation for sure. Okay. I think we're good. I think we're good here. Um, Okay. Next week, let's take a look. I mean, mostly, again, I'm going to be reading Graham Morrison's Luda, I'm gonna be reading uh, for my Marvel this year. I'm talking the the last New X Men chapter written by Morrison with Mark Silvestri, which is Here Comes Tomorrow, and Astonishing X Men by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. So we got that coming up in my Marvel this year, uh, and um, that should be interesting. Check out that podcast if you haven't already. Let's see. I'm trying to check out the comics of June twenty eighth. We're going to be Do we have any X-Men books? Before the fall, Heralds of Apocalypse. Okay, so that'll give us something to talk about next week. Big Al writing Heralds of Apocalypse. That should be interesting. Seemingly the only book on that vein. So we'll have to find something else to chat about. Wonder what that could be. JJ asks, what did you think of the Craven trailer? I could not even be bothered to watch. Listen, I used to find it very funny, I still do to an extent, that Sony is just doing these psychotic Hollywood big picture, big budget releases of not even Spider-Man's most well-known villains. Um, But now it's like, it actually kind of bums me out. It actually kind of bums me out uh, because it's like, it's such a bad thing for, for superhero media, you know? Like, audiences have caught on. Like, audiences get now that there is just a glut of this stuff because you think you can make a buck, you know? Because all these studios are riding the coattails of the MCU actually doing a thing well. And I just, I, I'm increasingly like, how much of the MCU's struggles right now are actually of their own making versus a, a theater experience that is like Black Adam, Blue Beetle, Craven. <laughs> Like Like, this era of superhero movie making was never going to be easy but it's made so much harder by studios that are just like so we just have to do bare minimum on this <laughs> on this bs right and we just roll out a soups thing and it'll do well Craven knows spider-man right that'll make some money um listen it's you say it's funny to you yes like the health like the healthiest place to be is like this is goofy why does this exist but honestly at this point i'm just like i i would I, it's not gonna happen but it's like just stop just stop okay? Just, just don't bother. We do not need a Craven movie, I promise you. At least at this point, like, the only way a Craven movie could possibly make sense is spinning out of an incredibly successful appearance in a Spider-Man movie. You know? The cart is so far before the horse. Okay, thanks everybody for listening.